Welcome to Four Guys in a Comic with your hosts, Fred, Rusty, Tap, and Nova. All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of Four Guys in a Comic. Here we are all together again, as we normally are. We have Rusty, Tap, Nova, and myself. Hey, guys, how's it going? It is hey. going. How are you on this well. fine Sunday evening? Oh, doing well, doing well. So what's what's going new with you guys? Um, I took Rusty's recommendation last week. I still have not read Hyperion, uh, but I did read Extraordinary X-Men, or Extraordinary X-Men, I think, yeah. Yeah, I got through two. Yeah, I got through two issues. How many did you get through, Tap? I am got through seven. I'm on issue eight. Okay, cool, cool. So, Rusty, what is happening in the world of Hyperion this week? <laughs> Hyperion hasn't come out with a new issue yet. We're still sitting on what we sat on last time. You got to think. It only came out, what, like, I think two weeks ago now? So, it, yeah. So, I'm still waiting on a new issue, but I am super stoked on what is to come. What do you think will be coming? More carnies? Uh, well, we're going to have that immortal carny still. Oh, okay. But, yeah. Other than yeah. that, though. No, let's let's hear about, let's hear uh, what Tab thought of Extraordinary X-Men. I want to hear this. Because, uh, you know, I, I wasn't the biggest fan, but... Um, really? Nova read it? You read it too, Nova? I, I read it when it was coming out, and I just couldn't. I couldn't How far did you get? Issue four, maybe. Okay. You gotta go beyond do it. four. I, I will agree with that. So... It took me a few issues to get into it, but I kept pushing through because I promised Rusty that I would read um, all 10 or 12. I think it's 12 issues out right now. So I pushed through it. Uh, and story-wise, Jeff Lemire, is it's a fun read. Uh, like I said, it, did, it was slow going at first, but after a while, it actually did hook me in, and I actually am enjoying the read. The art, however, is very hit and miss with me. Uh, for instance, I think like Storm looks really good. And I think Nightcrawler looks pretty decent, but when it comes, and I think Magic even looks pretty decent. I guess my big complaint with the art is in regards to Colossus. I don't feel like he looks anything like Colossus, and maybe it's just because I'm an old school '92 X-Men fan. I don't know, but to me, that is not Colossus. It's I don't know what it is, but it's not Colossus. Um, oh, like muscles on muscles. It's just, and his head is just so oddly yeah. shapened. Like, I don't know how to explain it. It's just weird. Um, I will say that just, back in the day, Colossus was not that much bigger than it appeared to be the other X-Men. But he does look a lot bigger in this series. Well, and fair enough. I mean, he is. He's supposed to be huge. He's supposed to be this giant, you know, behemoth of organic steel. Like, fair enough. I'm okay with the size. It's just the way he's shaping. It just looks weird. Maybe the know. artist went to the uh, Rob School of uh, Art. Well, it's Herberto Ramos, so I'd hope not. But <laughs> oh, uh, Herberto Ramos. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know. See, I just another I don't thing like about his Storm another thing about okay. his art. I get it's stylized, but, I mean, all of his females, it's, I mean, superheroes, yeah, I guess superheroines don't have to be, like, fit or anything, but they shouldn't look like stick figures, because they're all, like, anorexic, oh, what yeah. I remember. Yeah, Storm and, um, uh, Storm and Magic But, I mean, it's, it's stylized, skinny. I get that, and it's, like, anorexic next to, like, Colossus, who's this heap of, like, muscle on muscle. Yeah. It's almost, like, tumorous, but... Anyway, um, let's talk about the story. How are you, how are you guys? How are you looking at that? The story is uh, all right. Like I said, it took me a few issues to get into it. I think the issue that I finished with last night, or the issue before that, was uh, where they bring back in uh, Apocalypse, and the cover of it was 
um, the first appearance of Apocalypse from X Factor Six. It's kind of like the a reimagined version of that cover. Um, so yeah, I mean, overall though, the story it, it's good. It did take me a little bit, but like I was really confused at first though. I'm not gonna lie, partly because I haven't read any X Men comics in I don't know ages. Um, so I had to reach out to Rusty, and I was like, dude, and even you jumped in and helped me out with that. And I was like, I'm very confused what the hell's going on here. Yeah, Yeah, because you have, like, a young Jean Grey that came back with, was it all new X-Men? They came from the past to the future. And then you have old man Logan, who doesn't know how he got to the past, or at least hasn't been revealed yet. So he's from the future. And then you have these current ones, and, like, Cyclops is dead, and I'm like, and they keep talking about this heinous crime that Cyclops did, and I'm like, well, what did Cyclops do? And everybody's like, oh, nobody knows. (laughs) He He didn't really do anything. I mean... He was hyping up this whole anti-mutant protest, and I guess it sort of just fizzled out. I don't know. I guess he did that egg thing. He had the phoenix egg or whatever and didn't tell anyone about it. So I guess the X-Men are really offended about That's what they get. That's what I noticed about X-Men recently. They get offended if you don't tell them something. That's a big <laughs> problem going on with the X-Men. He didn't tell us. Well, and I will say, Rusty has always said, you know, the thing that he loves about X-Men the most is the fact that it um, plays into today's uh, goings-ons around the world. You know, it it translates real life into the comics. And from that perspective, I can enjoy it a little bit more because I do see what he means by a lot of the political statements and things like that that are being done in the comics. Um, So, yeah, I mean, from that standpoint, I think it's cool that you have a comic out there that's kind of relating to real life so to speak i enjoy that i I think x-men fans are probably enjoying it more so than people who never liked the x-men it's not very like new reader friendly no it's not at all like i said i was extremely confused um when i first started reading and i had to ask a lot of questions uh i will say though that a lot of the old old school fans don't like this because it's playing off of the history from before secret wars when they started introducing all these new groups and things that were happening so even though it seems kind of old to you oh or maybe new to you it's something that's like extremely new to old school fans still because it's only playing off of history from the past two years basically yeah and see maybe that's why i was so confused by it because i haven't read an x-men comic in more than that uh, but the other thing too is I don't like this whole thing and what Marvel's doing in general with the Inhumans and they're trying to get rid of the mutants and there's going to be no more mutants and it's all going to be Inhumans now. And if it truly is because of movie rights and Fox having the rights to mutants and whatnot, that's just a huge disappointment and a slap in the face to you know what? What are we at now? Fifty plus years history of X Men. Um, I yeah. mean that's just a slap in the face and that's not cool at all. I. I'm not a fan of this whole inhuman terrigen mist M virus thing, M pox or whatever. I'm not, I'm not a fan of it. Um, I don't know. I just we'll see what happens. Overall, though, the story's not bad. It's it's better than some of the other Marvel stuff that I've read over the years. So overall, I'm enjoying it. Well, that's cool. Then I mean, uh, did okay. I have to ask. Did you think the Wolverine Jean Grey thing is a little creepy? I thought that was creepy. <laughs> it's different so because you have. A, oh, well, what is it? I, 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 what? Tell me about it. Well, you have they're old like man little... Logan and seventeen-year-old Jean Grey, and they're like flirting it up, even though so you do see Wolverine and Aurora kiss, which is weird. Oh, Wolverine's oh. just well, getting back to his. Uh, 
He's, he wants roots. to feel young again. <laughs> he wants so to like, feel young again. Anybody that's a fan of the X Men knows, you know, the history with Gene and Wolverine and whatnot. Yeah. But you got a seventeen-year-old Gene and a. He doesn't know that history. Well, I guess she does. She's like read she a bunch of people's minds, and she looks seventeen. And you have a ninety-something-year-old yeah. Logan, and they're like, "Hey, I'm old enough to be your great-grandpa. Want to hook up?" Like it's, I don't know, it's weird. You know what I never got, yeah. and I think I mentioned this once before. Wolverine's lived like how many centuries when he's first introduced to the X Men, yeah. but all of a sudden, as soon as he's as soon as he's with the X Men, he starts aging with everyone else. Because in Old Man Logan, him and Hawkeye are like gray-haired together. <laughs> Makes no sense. You gotta think uh, it's in another I, universe, though. I guess not anymore. Well, not anymore. anymore. Yeah, you're right. No, you're right. So it's kind of like that's actually like you know, 50 years from now, he actually starts aging like a regular guy. However, speaking of old man Logan, kind of sort of sidetracked. Um, did you guys see the still shot of Hugh Jackman in the old man Logan makeup? I did not. No, I did see it, and he's standing in front of the fish. Yeah, yeah. He's, oh. he's just kind of standing. It's like a. I don't know if they're filming yet or if it's just test makeup or what, but it it looked good. I'm not gonna lie, it looked pretty legit. I got to look at it now. Yeah, it looked pretty good. Red, have you ever read Old Man Logan? Got me excited. Uh, yeah, I did. I did. I was. It didn't interest me at all. I thought it was kind of boring. No, how Sorry. boring! It was no way. It was boring. It was so cool. Because he beheads Red Skull in it. That's why. He's right? definitely one of the the minority in that boat. I was gonna say you got Red Skull running around in Captain America's costume. <laughs> it, I did. Yeah. I didn't like it. I just didn't like the story. And I'm not an X, really a, an X Men fan, so or Wolverine, so it just didn't appeal to me. Sorry. That's surprising. I mean, just I, I figured that the fact that Red Skull's like the big bad, big bad guy in it would be good enough for you. Yeah, you think so? But you know, I need a little bit more than my favorite uh, villain in there. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yep. So what's going on with you, Nova? I haven't heard you say much. What's going on? I have been, I mean, me and Tap and I have been just mostly consumed with Rebirth, and I honestly haven't had a chance to read anything else. I've just been, just had, you know, a real life kind of week, to be honest. Um, I do have my eyes on some things, but got to wait for next time. Oh, okay. uh, I may be lying. (laughs) <laughs> don't tell the people listening but i may be lying <laughs> well, horrible but, uh, yeah let's 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 keep it going because i don't want to bore people with literally nothing all right well, got nothing. well we have something exciting for everybody for all of you listeners out there you can now dial in to four guys in a comic yeah that's right you can call 682-422-6642 or it comes out to 6824-A-COMIC. Yes, that's right, 6824-A-COMIC. Call in. If you forget the number, it will be posted below. Don't worry. But give us a call. You can leave your comments, complaints, gripes, suggestions. If you want to leave a sexy voice message for Nova, go for it. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and who knows? You know what? We'll end up probably taking the uh, your uh, call recordings and post them into some uh, podcasts. And uh, if you want to get hurt. Put it out there. If you have a recommendation, a complaint about an author, writer, artist, whatever, guys. If you want to hate on us, <laughs> just do it, and we'll hate on you back. Yes. <laughs> and we have the power to re-edit. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, seriously, we'll, we'll, we'll put something out there for you guys. So, you know, call in, leave your comments. 
And for those of you guys in the dark, no offense, but you guys got to be watching our YouTube videos. Just going to put it out there. I think they're pretty, they're pretty neat. Um, yeah. We got reviews almost. It's like almost every other day, I think, at this rate from all yeah. of us, you yeah, know, I all up, around, all across the board. I was about to say, get ready today. for some spoof, uh, some spoof and some comedy bits to maybe you'll even see uh, me and Red Skull in pain at some point. Yes, we've, we've got our we got we got a few torture items already prepared, you know. Jeez, guys, this is a, a non-explicit episode, right? This <laughs> is going on. Uh, it's going on YouTube, right? Not yes, YouTube. Okay, not like YouTube. Uh, not in not any of the other tubes. Just YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> not you. Something else this is strictly YouTube. YouTube. Anywho, I want to know what Rusty's recommending this week. Rusty, what are you recommending? Okay, guys. So y'all know we're. I'm going to stick on the topic of X Men for y'all. Okay, but it's not the X Men we know today. It is the X Men from the past, but reimagined now. X Men '92. I knew you were going to say that. Yes, I'm telling you guys, it's something good, and I know Chris Sims. He gets so much heat, you know, because he's done some he's done some questionable things in the past. He's not a nice person sometimes. Um, but with X-Men 92 right now, we just got over this alpha red arc thing, which I've talked to you all about before. And um, we have now we're on issue five of it. OK, um, they defeated Alpha Red and uh Scott Summers and Jean Grey want to go and take some time away. Uh, let's let's put it that way. They're gonna leave the group like usual. Yeah, they've done it in the past. Hawaii with speedos. Kind of on the cover, you see a shadow of Mister Sinister, and you do see them on the beach with some uh, drinks in their hands. Mm-hmm. But don't let that make you think that this is what that issue is about. Now. Are you guys familiar with the adventures of Cyclops and Phoenix? As in, um, the From the shit in, oh. oh I watched the show, but, I mean, aside from the Phoenix saga, what else was there? What kind of adventures did they have? Oh, where, where they got stuck into the future. Oh, no. Y'all know, you don't know what I'm talking about? In 92, uh, that'd be like, what, adventures in babysitting? <laughs> All right. Like no. <laughs> but um, no. Okay. So as y'all know, Cable's one of my favorite characters, and one of his origin things is that he was born in the future. Basic. Well, he was born in the past, but he was brought to the future. Born in. The, it's kind of mixed up. But he was left in the future. We all know that, right? Obviously, we're all comic book fans. If mm-hmm. you know anything about Cable, he's from the future. Okay. And. Um, that's what this story really is, is a retelling of the basically the baby story of Cable and how he got left in the future. So don't think of this as like a new story, but think of this as a reimagining or a reissue of an old one, which is building up to something. It's kind of cool how they're playing off of all this, though, because, you know, we have all the class elements of Scott and uh, Gene in the future. He's cloned from Scott and Gene's. Uh, DNA by Sinister and suddenly we see a teenage cable pop up out of nowhere with the techno-organic virus already attached to him to keep him uh, under control you could say 
Yeah. So it's kind of like a mixing in the rush of introducing the character Cable all in one issue almost. There's a second part to this. So I'm curious about it. But the original story of the adventures of uh, Cyclops and Phoenix was only like, I think, six issues, four issues, something like that. And so they're putting all this, I think, in two issues. But they did a good job of just reliving and retelling that story into kind of a modern day kind of twist thing, even though it's still based like with 92 stuff. I don't know. But I'm telling you, if you're looking for like a good, solid throwback X-Men issue and you have any kind of history with X-Men in the past, this issue's badass. Hmm. All right, you sold me. All right, that is Rusty's recommendation of the week. I'm telling you. See, they aren't even going to argue with it. There's no questions. Just read it. Well, it's X-Men 92, and that's what I grew up with. Um, So, therefore, I'm just going to take your word for it that it's amazing, and that one I will actually just read, and I won't even make fun of you about, because, well, it's X-Men 92. (laughs) And this is the thing, too. You don't have to read any of the previous stuff before this issue. You could jump right in on this issue, and it's completely cut off from everything else that's already happened. How many issues are there of X-Men 92? Uh, this was issue five. Oh, so there's, not there's even also many. The, there's also the Secret Wars. There's a Secret Wars version of it too. It's and a this digital uh, comic before Secret Wars. Uh, the digital comic actually, yeah, it came it out before. It was before. Oh no, it was like right at the start, and then they okay. actually made the physical copies at the end. So whenever they started coming out with issue one of X Men ninety two on the digital comics, I think they were only in the issue like two of secret wars or something like that Mm. Uh, and then by the time it started coming out in print they were on issue like six of secret wars or something like that but they were still releasing the digital comics simultaneously Mm -hmm. yeah speaking of mr sinister though and going back to extraordinary um x-men i will say i did get kind of giddy when they brought in sinister into that story and the way he was drawn was very reminiscent of the 92 X-Men, Mr. Sinister with like that big Cape and like the sharp corners and whatnot. You know what I'm talking about? Yep. Rusty, yeah. And you would love this. You that, would love this. That sinister. Did me, that did get me pretty giddy. I was like, cause I actually have the Mr. Sinister 92 action figure. And so that one made me pretty giddy when I saw that. I'm not going to mm-hmm. lie. It's cool, man. I mean, Ed, what do you think of, though, about them traveling into the future for it, though? I mean, did that make you feel any different about it? I mean, they're still playing with uh, time travel and X-Men. Yeah. In both situations, I guess with this, too. These are X-Men from the past. There's X-Men from the far past now. There's X-Men that are coming from the present to the future and then aging and then going back to the past. <laughs> yeah. Same. Well, Rusty, same old, same old. I so, Rusty, I see that you emailed us some Mad Lib questions today. Yes, I did. You Is did. everyone ready to play? I am I ready. I think we are ready for a Mad Libs. Are you audience members out there ready for another Mad Libs? That is the question. I hope so. Let's wait for them to call call in and uh, let us yes. know, I guess. At 682-4-A-Comic. <laughs> Once again, that's 682-4-A-Comic. We need to put that on our Twitter as well. Oh, it's going to go everywhere. Yep. I'm going to get a tattoo that says 6824-A-Comic. <laughs> <laughs> right on the butt cheek. Right, Red? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. That way when you're dancing around in that thong, everyone can see it. That's Jeez. it. That's <laughs> it. <laughs> Just awesome. my, my, my left cheek will be bouncing around. 6824-A-Comic. I'm going to put it in a commercial and you can have the little bouncing ball going across oh, it. Going little across bouncing Red butt. Skull head. <laughs> 
<laughs> little fretful head. Six eight two for a comic. Six Red, eight two for a comic. Can, can you pop it? Can Red? Pop oh it? my gosh! Just pop lock and drop it for us, please. Yeah, can, can, you, can you pop it, Red? Can you make that booty bounce? He's gonna booty pop in a handstand for us. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm just having a picture of Red on the beaches of Virginia with a camo thong with the number written across his ass. Be out there, hey baby. Remember, six eight two four comic. And he starts like prancing off and it's just jiggling. <laughs> Let's get jiggy with it. Six eight two four comic. Nova's just like, no, please. <laughs> Look away. Uh, I wish my video was working. Then I could see your guys' reaction to all this. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that's good. Uh, all right, moving on. All right, so let's get back to this week's episode, part five of Mad Libs. Are you guys ready? I believe so, yeah. I'm good. I am, man. Well, get into character, guys, because previously on Mad Libs, we saw our mystery hero die at the hands of an unknown being. Steele quickly comes to the conclusion that he will need help and goes to untie blue-footed booby woman and Connor McLeod's swordsman, when suddenly a strange and unusual person walks out of the shadows. His skin is an odd shade of blood red. My name is the Fedorian. I have powers unmatchable to you puny humans. When I discovered the mighty mustache, he cowered in fear. But now he has shown me the riches of this planet and promised me Thanos' bitch mitten. My queen, the great Dr. Chatty Clitorius, shall be pleased with the offering when I rid the planet of it. My stars, there is no way I could let that happen. I must stop you at once. Steel leaps out at the alien being. With the blink of an eye, the being vanishes. Steele looks around, but only sees tape rolls hanging from the walls. He quickly runs towards Connor Cloud's swordsman to release him. Steel, comrade, it is you, thank heavens. The mighty mustache and the hipsters unite are up to something big. Who is this moist alien guy? Hurry, we don't know if this is a trick or... With both arms freed, swordsman sits up from the table when suddenly... The Fedorian appears behind Steel. He has a large milk carton in his hand, and he knocks Steel over the head. Swordsman quickly sits up and breaks the shackles that bind his legs. He lunges at the alien, and he quickly vanishes again. Without hesitation, Connor McLeod Swordsman releases Blue-Footed Booby Woman. Blue-Footed Booby Woman, quickly use your death by chatter power. I will grab Steel. Let's get out of here. It seems we're unmatched. What is happening? Let's get out of here as I release my death by chatting. Whose voice was that? Our heroes leave the fortress without knowledge of our hero, Stink Eye Steve, still en route to the deadly fortress. Suddenly, we flash to our villain, the Mighty Mustache, sitting in a chair made of grizzly bear and watching our hero arrive through a series of video monitors. Uh, yes, 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 this is going exactly as I planned. With the other heroes out of the way, I will capture the one with the abilities I really need. Little does Stinky Steve know that I will farm him for his elastic energy. My alien diversion worked. The mirrors and illusions were wonderful, and the power of the mustache is ever stronger. The handkerchief thief appears behind the mighty mustache with a book in his hand with the title The Art of War. 
The two begin to laugh and point as the scene fades away. We then return to our hero at base, Sergeant Sagittarius, as he is scanning through files on the Olympics. <laughs> what is going on here? These events have to connect somehow. What is the mighty mustache up to? Maybe it has something to do with the cosmic banana hammock. What will happen next? What is the mighty mustache up to? Will Stink Eye Steve fall into the trap? Is Steel going to recover? Find out next time on Four Guys in a Comics with Mad Libs. <laughs> awesome, man. Stink <laughs> Stink Eye Steve is back. I forgot all about him. Oh, I so did I. I want to I want to see more from about the great Dr. Chatty Clitoris. <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh my oh god. Oh my gosh. Uh, indie comics. Yes, you gotta love indie <laughs> comics. I mean, come on. This this is this is obscene. This is amazing. I mean, this is uh, like really fun artists out there that want to try to like write panels for this using a rusty story. I think that would be awesome. Because we have an Eisner Award winning story going on right here. (laughs) (laughs) Really? I mean, mean, come on. Got an an alien looking for Thanos's bitch mitten and Sergeant Sagittarius (laughs) is putting it together thinking it has to do with the cosmic banana hammock. Yeah. Oh, my God. This is great. Who was that moist alien guy? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Oh, my God. I don't know how to feel about blue-footed booby woman having a power that's death by chatting. (laughs) (laughs) Small talk that kills. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, that was good. All right. Well, speaking of Eisner Award-winning stuff, what have you guys been reading this week? Um, other than X-Men and then having my life completely uh, consumed with Rebirth. Ooh, actually, I'm lying. Ooh. I did read a couple indie titles, come to think of it. Dark Horse <laughs> Comics, Colin Bunn, nonetheless. Um, Conan the Slayer, issue two. Mm. Uh, I will say, man, am I enjoying it. It took me a little bit to kind of get into it, but by the end, I was hooked, and I couldn't wait for issue three. Like, it, it, it had me by the balls by the end of that, by the end of that issue. Uh, it's, it's well done. It's really well, well done. It's colon, but like- you can't go wrong. Uh, so yeah, Conan the Slayer, and for those of you guys that haven't heard the podcast, go back and listen to the interview with Colin Bunn, where he actually gives us a little bit more insight to Conan the Slayer. Um, but yeah, no, that one was good. I enjoyed Conan the Slayer quite a bit. I want, I want to read that. I just haven't had the time to, to this week. That one was fun. It was a, it was a fun one for sure. What about you, Nova? What have you been up to reading this week? Well, like I mentioned, I haven't been. Uh reading much aside from Rebirth, but I did buy some older books this week. I forgot to mention. Uh, so I may dive into those a little bit, go get a little blast from the past. Where, um, But that's about it. Yeah, I've been, I've been pretty... I'm kind of upset now that I think about it. I didn't read enough comics this week. <laughs> but I guess it's okay. I've got my Rebirth going. It's kind of, I'm kind of lying at the same time because there's like a dozen Rebirth <laughs> issues, but that's a lot I feel like... I feel like if I'm not sort of like getting a nice variety of different publishers, I'm just not reading enough. Um, especially when I don't get my image, and I don't get my image in the week, I just uh, I feel empty. You I do. Feel, you, you would. Ha- you have. You would feel empty. Yeah, it's like it's sort of. I, I feel like I'm just missing the dessert at the end of the meal. Ooh, speaking but, of that nail biter, 
that came out this last week. It did. Nailbiter 24. I read that one. Mm-hmm. I know Red read You're... that one. <clears throat> yep. Actually, uh, I would say this week I have read a lot. A lot. I mean, I went through Black Monday Murders, uh, number one. one Elephant really Man. Too. Yep. Black Elephant. Monday Murders is the one I was going to mention for this week. Yep. Um, what, well, what else did you read? Well, besides Black Monday Murders, the only two Marvel titles that came out this week, and I haven't read either of them yet because I've kind of been behind on both of them, to be honest with it, is um, Deadpool Spider-Man, which the newest issue came out. Um, I believe it was issue eight. And then uh, the newest Old Man Logan came out, which I'm kind of saving to read. Uh, it's one of the things I haven't read like probably the last five, six issues of it. Um, and it's something I've been ready to save. But um, other than that, like I said, Black Monday Murders. And um, I actually got a chance to read the uh, newest Carnage finally this week. And um, it's pretty solid. Still got uh, good old Cletus running around with the dark hold and being crazy and super overpowered right now. Um, but there was a lot more backstory, and once again, we still got Eddie Brock, uh, you know, running around with Toxin and whatnot, which we talked about with, uh, we, we, we talked about with Bun, because he gave Eddie the suit, but yeah, if you didn't know, Eddie's still running around in Carnage with the, uh, Toxin suit, and, um, it's really coming together to be a really good story so far. And I'm still curious as to what's going to happen. It feels like even though they say the first arc is done of it, um, it doesn't, it feels like it's still going on from the first thing. It, it's, I think what, like, let's see here. I have the issue actually right by me. Uh, we are on issue 10 now and it just feels like it's all just one solid read through right now. Like, if you're going to pick up just a random Marvel issue that you aren't sure if you're going to like or not, uh, Carnage is pretty dang solid. Uh, even though it's not a whole, whole lot of things going on that's tied into anything else going on in Marvel, uh, solid read just for the continuity, if anything. Is that continuing with Marvel Now 2.0? <laughs> I think so. I hope so. It was supposed to be a ongoing for Carnage and. um I, I can only keep my fingers crossed that it does. I don't think it was on the announcement list for it. <laughs> so for no. those that did so. read Black Monday Murders, what is everyone's thoughts on it? Because I read it according to your guys' recommendation. Mm-hmm. Red and Rusty. I read it due to your guys' recommendation, and holy crap, I was impressed. It was good, wasn't it? It's clever. It was it's yeah. super very clever. clever. Mm-hmm. Very, very clever. Nova, have you and read the it? art. Oh, I did, yeah. What'd you think of it? It was great. I mean, it's it's good Hickman. The only thing I sort of get worried about whenever I read a Hickman book is, um, especially something like The Dead and the Dying, which just really did die because I guess mm-hmm. it just doesn't get hasn't been released since like issue three or something. Um, I just hope it continues. But yeah, it's got an amazing premise. I really like the idea, uh, the whole stock market and. Mm-hmm. I agree with your train of thought because if I just it, hope it continues that always yeah. I'm always skeptical because mm-hmm. Hickman's books sometimes just fall and they just stop coming out. Um, yeah, they do. And I think it's like he puts all this time and effort into, say, like uh, uh, East and West or something like that. And then he comes up with these little titles and then they get forgotten about. Yeah. Secret Wars, right? Yeah. So they had to add a whole new issue at the end of it just so uh, they could tie everything up because he was being kind of slow on things. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, Hick- Hickman's the idea guy. He's always got awesome ideas. Mm-hmm. And he's he's like he's a brilliant writer. I'm pretty sure we all know that he's not yeah. he plays the long game. He creates a bunch of little threads that all come together insanely well. I mean, we we even when we talked about Secret Wars way back when it was like, oh yeah, it goes all the way back to his Fantastic Four. So yeah. if this goes, like this could potentially go quite a bit of issues. I don't know if he's announced if it's mm-hmm. limited or not. But I mean, uh, you know how those those go. It always ends up being on sales. If the sales go yeah. well, then yeah. it, it goes forward. It's, it's a not Hickman's look though. I yeah. mean, it's gonna sell. Yeah, I think the sell, yeah. the sales gonna do really well on that one. Yeah, and I'm going to say on the name alone, it pretty much sells it. And I wouldn't be surprised. We will find out on uh, Tuesday, actually, when uh, with since we're on the image press release, whether or not it's going to a next printer or not, because they normally tell us on Tuesdays. Oh, I'll Mm -hmm. bet money it does. I'll be shocked if it doesn't. Yeah, Yeah. well, we will see. I mean, but yeah, I read uh, this week forty-seven comics. Actually, I was pretty pleased with uh, what I got through. Um, I went through uh, Birthright number eighteen. Uh, the Black Monday Murders, number one. Elephant Men, 72. I uh, really didn't care for it all that much. Ringside, number six. I liked the cover art. That was about it. Spread, 15, which was enjoyable. Ooh, Symmetry, heart. six. Yeah, I'm sorry. Um, but I read the last two issues of Paper Girls. Uh, went through all 15 issues in the series of Velvet. Oh, my gosh. I just I want more. It is so good. <laughs> and I finally sat down, and I binge read all 24 issues of Nailbiter. Nailbiter is sick. As everyone knows, I'm a huge Joshua Williamson fan. Same with Birthright. Oh Birthright again. 18 was phenomenal. I'm just throwing it again out there. With this shit, dude. I, I told you, get the chapstick. I'm kidding. Ready. I'm kidding. You do. You do your ready. thing, man. I mean, yeah. Yeah. But no. What but, do you think? Uh, he's all wet, man. I know. Well, I put, let me put it this way. I started it uh, yesterday afternoon, and issue one. I got to issue 24 at about two something in the morning. I just couldn't stop and put it down. It was just, it's amazing. It was amazing. It was really good. I was just kind of happy. Also, I was able to get through so many comics this week, too. It was kind of nice to catch up a little. The one thing I'm bummed about, though, and it's my comic shop's fault. They forgot to put in my pull box um, the last issue of Aloha Hawaiian Dick issue number four. And I went to three shops, and I couldn't find it anywhere. And it just really pissed me off. It's the best way to put it. I, I need my hello. I thought you were gonna say you needed your dick. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my aloha. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I may just take the dick and write six eight two four eight comic. Oh my god. <laughs> well Jesus. played, oh. sir. Well played. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, Stay classy, internet. That whole thing. <laughs> yes. Yet again. <laughs> I mean, my gosh. I mean, have you guys been reading much about uh, with B. Claymore's uh, work? Aloha, Aloha Hawaiian Dick. That's about Nightwing in Hawaii, no? <laughs> no. Nightwing on vacation. Yeah. He's doing not nothing. Not Dick Grayson. No, not yeah. Dick Grayson. Oh, well. I guess you guys need to learn a little bit more about it. Why don't we say we uh, give B. Claymore a quick call and have a little discussion with him and talk about his work? Let's Sounds good. All right. Let me get the dial pad, and away we go. Let's see. That number for him was 682 People are going to be calling it, and they're going to be like, this isn't B. Claymore. <laughs> 
<laughs> Where's the ass jiggling we were told? <laughs> That's going to be the next YouTube video. I'll put on my oh, thong. Man. I'll put on oh, 682. You, you better hope one of our listeners doesn't leave this number up on a, a gas station yeah, washroom or something. <laughs> trucker stop. Time, call. call Red Skull at... <laughs> yeah. This Actually, is Bubba. You're, you're I'm giving... over at the Exxon on 5th and Main. <laughs> <laughs> you're giving people ideas, Nova. Keep going. This is good. Yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see what They we should get. do it. Just leave a voice recording, too, with the whole ass-shaking thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my oh, God. Well, shake, shake your cheeks. <laughs> pop it, boy. Pop it. Good Lord. Anyway. What do we do? What do we do on this podcast again? <laughs> that's right. That's right. We're gonna call B Claymore. Okay. <laughs> this is Red, and Four Guys in a Comic is proud to present a groovy cat whose writing takes you kung fu fighting in the streets of '76, then whisks you away to the sandy beaches of Hawaii with everyone's favorite bird filled with mysterious women, zombies, and traps. A writer whose tales resonate as a battle hymn among men of war's skull and bots. It's time to put away your vampire diaries because we have a slam dunk interview with a visionary himself. Everyone give a big aloha to none other than B. Claymore. Welcome. Aloha. Aloha. <laughs> Kansas. <laughs> Kansas, that's right. Uh, so I, I like how you uh, also uh, incorporate uh, Bird into uh, Kansas as well. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that was, uh, yeah, that's a long story actually. But uh, this this last uh, Hawaiian Dick miniseries we did has been in the works for like four years. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know when I decided to use Kansas City as a as a as a setting for for my Hawaiian detective story, but um, <laughs> I don't know. It, it, maybe it wasn't the best idea to start the fifth. Or the, is it the fifth? It's the fourth. Fourth miniseries, which is like six years after the last one, with a character who who had never appeared before in Kansas City. But yeah, what the hell? Yeah, well, why not? You know, but you say fourth, but I guess you can say fifth if you count the one shot, right? <laughs> well, we yeah, except we still don't have I mean, the Great Big Hawaiian Dick is the uh, the Kickstarter uh, is still in the process of being assembled, so it's uh, <clears throat> that's going to end up being the fifth one. Um, right now, I'm putting together. The third trade paperback because we never collected the third series, Screaming Black Thunder, mm-hmm. and also the fourth uh, tra- trade paperback, which will be for this current series, Aloha Hawaiian Dick. And then uh, I think Great Big Hawaiian Dick, the hardcover, will sort of end up being the fifth book, even though at this point, I mean, I'm not. It's not going to be distributed uh, through Diamond and what have you. But um, at some point, I'd like to collect everything we've ever done into some giant hardcover but we'll see how that goes oh that'd be very cool well i can tell you now us midwesterners appreciate the kansas city i'm from omaha nebraska so uh it's nice to be able to see something that i'm familiar with in a book rather than la or new york or even hawaii or whatever so right yeah i mean yeah again i can barely remember why i decided that the first issue of aloha hawaiian dick was actually the second issue drawn excuse me the the second issue was originally it's complicated. The last miniseries ended up being five issues. It's supposed to be an ongoing book. So uh-huh. the second issue of the new series was originally the sixth issue of the last series. Um, actually, no, I'm sorry. It was the seventh issue of the last series. The sixth issue is what is the backup story in Aloha Hawaiian Dick. It's drawn by Jason Armstrong. That 
that was done forever ago, but the seventh issue was never finished, so we never released the sixth issue. <laughs> so Jacob Wyatt came on to draw the seventh issue, and then once we talked about it, we decided to just build a whole new series out of it. Um, and then I, re- I wrote the issue that takes place in Kansas City, and we, we did that. Um, we, we, he drew that, that second. Um, but, uh, but no, actually, that's true. I thought you don't see much. I mean, I've done stuff set in the 50s. Um, the Bad Karma hardcover we did had a, had a story set in 50s L.A. And, you know, you, you've got a lot of stuff set in New York and what have you. But I, you really, the Midwest is kind of ignored in that regard. And uh, so I thought it would be cool to kind of um, at least touch base with, um, I mean, it, the, the story actually kind of lightly touches base with some, some real things that were going on in Kansas City at the time, like the, the, um, the Monarchs with the Negro League team in town and the um, athletics were about to move into town, so I kind of mentioned that. There's a little bungalow house that's very popular uh, in town in Kansas City and uh, you know, stuff nobody would care about if they, you know, if they missed it, but stuff that people who were familiar with the city might have appreciated. So, mm-hmm. hey, Someday I want to go back. I know we're, we're already kind of rambling, but some, <laughs> someday I want to go. Kansas City in, it, during Prohibition was like a wild west outlaw town. I mean, it was Robert Altman did the Kansas City movie that was kind of based in Kansas City at that period of time, but it's it's really hasn't been dealt with a lot. Um, someday I'd love to do something set in uh, the Prohibition era when jazz was in full swing, and uh, Kansas City basically completely ignored Prohibition because the mayor um, decided it was going to be this open, crazy, you know, open all night gambling and, and uh, jazz town. And uh, I'm really surprised people haven't haven't mined that more for material, but um, some someday I'd like to do that. Yeah, I can definitely see that, especially with your writing style. You do a lot of stuff that uh, is periodic. You go back into the past, a lot of stuff. Like I said, I mentioned before in the introduction, 76. Um, very well written. I love the series. Uh, and, you know, Ed also brought on a whole new level with the artwork in that as well. And so doing something with the, with the jazz period, I really could see that, especially coming from yourself as well. Because, like I said, you do a lot of great stuff, you know, out of this time era. Thanks. Yeah, I um... – I don't. I, I worry sometimes. Well, I used to worry about getting kind of pigeonholed as doing period stuff, and and it, that's probably something that's happened to me with editors. In fact, I know it is because when I when I was doing more stuff for DC, I was they were always asking me to do like a Doc Savage story or uh, a World War II story or what have you, which is fine. Um, but um, I don't really. I mean, it's not like I'm. It's not like that's my only. <laughs> thing i'm interested in i just I, I really find it interesting to kind of examine the past more like through the through our perceptions of the past more than like, i'm not interested in, in like documenting the reality of the past i think it's more fun to kind of play with the way we perceive the past now so i mean like obviously the 50s in hawaiian dick is sort of a stylized uh you know the tiki themes are kind of more prevalent than they would have been um and then I try to subvert that if I can with other elements. Um, I, it's, I don't know. I mean, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. 70, 76, which we, we got halfway through and, and are still trying to finish up and and, and uh, re-release. The idea there was actually to tell a story set in the 70s that didn't rely on all the stupid, over-the-top stereotypes that people use. Um like, you know, it's always disco balls and platform shoes and pimps and all this stuff and everything. I thought it would be fun to kind of use some of those trappings, but in a more, like in a story that's not tongue-in-cheek, so to speak. Um, so I kind of used all the black exploitation and exploitation tropes of the era and tried to kind of create 
made me characters with a little more depth. Um, Jackie Karma, the story I did in 76, it's, it's still one of my favorite characters, favorite setting, mm-hmm. favorite stories, and I, fe- I really feel like the audience was small enough that, I, I, like, we, we didn't finish the series for a number of reasons. Uh, the second half, the back end of the series was cool by Seth Peck and Ty Walker, which was set in Los Angeles in 1976. Seth and Ty are actually currently working on a new image book called Hellbent that will be out uh, early next year. Uh, the, the, the first story of which appeared in the Bad Karma anthology I talked about. But um, I, I really, like, and especially like now Iron Fist and, you know, some of these characters since we first did that have kind of popped back up again. And people are, it seems like they're kind of starting to go back and, and look at the roots of those characters. Um, so I, I kind of feel like it's a pretty good time to sort of revisit that stuff. So we're, we're trying to get that finished, um, retouched, maybe color, put it in a, its own book and, and get it out mm-hmm. um, Sometime yeah. for the next year or so. Well, well, I know, I'll be honest. I really actually enjoy, you know, I have them in front of me now, you know, the five issues of uh, 76. And I love the work that you did on it, especially the art with uh, Ed Tandem and the black and white. I like the black and white. <laughs> Leave it yeah. black and white. <laughs> yeah, I, well, so I actually, I emailed Ed. Um, I, t- I talked to Ed after that series went on to do a bunch of animation. And, and it's funny, he was actually working on the Black Dynamite cartoon after he did mm-hmm. 76. Um, and his style. I mean, he was always super talented, but his style has gotten, like, crazy dynamic. Um, and so whenever he's shown me pages from the next chapter that he's kind of worked on, it's so much more, more like, explosive than the earlier stuff that it's going to be it's going to be interesting when we put it all together. But I, but I did ask him recently. I said, you know, I asked him if he thought it would hold color well. Um, maybe that's just me thinking more commercially because, you know, people, for whatever reason, respond to color. Maybe Maybe something muted or something not, you know, I mean mm-hmm. – can figure something out that's still you know maybe somebody like Rigo Renzi or somebody who can do some uh, who, who, um, works with Jason Latour a lot mm-hmm. um, can do something in kind of a stylized I don't know it's, it's just a thought right now I know I know where we can get it done I know we can do it um, um, but yeah I definitely want to revisit, revisit that stuff now if you I do revisit the, it yeah I'm sorry now if you revisit and you know finish up the series are you going to keep it eight ish you know the eight issues like it was supposed to be or is it going to maybe continue past eight issues well it's that's a com- the complete story is written for that for that uh-huh. eight issue chunk which of course because it was a split book it would translate it into a, a normal four issue miniseries if each issue was 24 issues so it's a little longer than four issues that that story because for those who don't don't know, and virtually anyone listening won't know. Um, the, the story was about uh, this, 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 this white kung fu fighter named Jackie Karma and his partner, uh, this black kind of street brawler named Marcus King. And the idea was that they fought with another guy named Bobby Howler, who was a judo expert um, in the 60s, like in the summer of love and flower power and everything, and then went into retirement. And then when New York City kind of fell apart in the 70s, one of their uh, old nemesis from the past shows up in 1976, brings them all back together. You know, they've been like living respectable lives in their in their early to mid 30s now, and they're very quick to kind of jump back into the scene. Um, and we use, you know, the last issue we introduced uh, a, a black soul band called the Soul Brigade, and mm-hmm. uh, they, they're actually um, we haven't really gotten into them yet, but they're actually also street fighters. So it's like. Uh, it's like if the band War or somebody in the in the in the 70s also stepped out of the studio occasionally and kicked some ass. Um, <laughs> and then there's uh, there's a character named Holly Gold who's uh, you know like a, seems like an Asian girl who's got a sword who 
decapitates a, a gangster. And then there's also a figure from the past named Sam uh, Sam Jones, who is Samantha Jones, who's like a street private eye um, who, who knew these cats back in the 60s. And uh, so anyway, they all come together in the story, and there's there's a drug angle and, and uh, an army angle coming in and everything. Um, but, yeah, what I'd like to do is finish that story and then set it up so that we can sort of follow them from there. Um, way back when, Seth and I had some ideas to kind of maybe tie in his side of the story with mine, even though the tone's slightly different. Oh, that was uh, cool, right? Cool, cool, right? Which yeah. is about two bounty hunters in Los Angeles in 1976 who uh, mm-hmm. get involved with uh, some gangsters and a, a porn star hitman and a, and a midget drug lord. And, uh, and that's, a, <laughs> that's a great story, too. It's it more is. like a kind of like a Tarantino movie on paper. Or I'll tell you, it, it kind of reminded me a lot of an old Starsky and Hutch episode because I was a huge yeah. fan of Starsky and Hutch. I loved that show when I was younger. And I was just like, this is what it reminded me of, especially 76. I was like, oh, this is taking me back. I love this. Yeah. Well, it's funny because there's Ty Walker who drew cool. He he uh, he did a just an illustration that he sent Seth and I of uh, Pete and Leon, the two characters from Cool, running on the beach. There's an old Starsky and Hutch promo image where they're both in T-shirts running on the beach together, and he, he actually <laughs> redrew those characters in that with the T-shirts on and everything. But uh, yeah, now I mean, it's again, it like didn't have much of an audience. Black and white book, kind of a funky thing. But for whatever reason, it seems like everybody who ever read that book. Um, mentions it to me all the time and uh, it's like my it's my sister's favorite thing i've ever done and and uh-huh. I, I really love the potential in those characters I feel like we really screwed up not, not getting it uh put together but i, I do want to bring them back and also i'll be honest um as i'm kind of working into other media um i'd love to try to figure out to pitch uh, like a jackie karma um cable show or something along those oh lines. that i could see that oh that would yeah. be so cool we, we've we've kicked it around we've had some it's one of those. Th- I have trouble with a lot of my things when it comes to TV. Like Hawaiian Dick was picked up by NBC recently, and um, mm-hmm. um, I guess that's that's about the only period piece that's been picked up. But networks are and everyone's afraid of period stuff. Even though half the cable shows on TV are actually period right now, um, mm-hmm. but they still always want to change it to um, contemporary. And for me, like when we first kicked Jackie Karma around a few years ago with some TV people. That was. They were always like, "Well, how can we make it now?" But I was like, "There's no a show set in a. I mean, the the, the series was called '76 for a reason. Yeah. You can't. You know, sure you can reflect that era. I mean, mm-hmm. I mentioned Tarantino; he's done that a few times. But for me, it's really it's, it's kind of the key element of the series. So it uh, is. Well, the, so you I've, know, you just have to remind yeah. him. Look at the success of that '70s show. Boom. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. Exactly. That's a good. Point. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. I mean, it's it's a cost thing. I think they worry about. But I mean. Mm-hmm. Like I said, every show on cable right now is set in the '60s, '70s, or '80s. So, but no, I want to do. Uh, I want to do. Um, my my ideal thing would be like a really badass kind of rated R cable, you know, pay cable kind of show with mm-hmm. where there's no. We're not afraid to, you know, get a little whatever. '70s uh, bone chicka bone yeah. going on in there. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the book is the book is not shy about dropping f bombs and you no. know. And, characters and all this stuff so i'd like to anyway that's who knows i mean I'm, i've got a lot of things on my plate first but i'd really love to angle towards that so yeah so we're talking about how usually we you work with um period stuff and whatnot i'm sure that there comes a learning curve when working with this stuff what kind of research do you put into this before you start working on it well it's kind of like what i mentioned before it's the idea is well first of all i grew 
grew up obsessed with the pop culture of all eras, kind of. I have this, like, obsessive personality where if I'm interested in one thing, I, I just, even as a kid, I had to kind of consume everything about it. So when I started reading comic books, like, if I was reading comic books as a kid in the early 80s, I had to know everything about all those characters, about the entire industry. I would buy the you know, Overstreet Price Guide and got really into the notion of Golden Age comics, even though I couldn't find any. Um, hunted it down in reprints. Um, same thing with films. Uh, you know, really early I was into, you know, old Bogart films and Hitchcock and film noir and stuff um, leading up to the present. And, and I, I don't know I don't know why. It was just I, I just couldn't be into one thing if I didn't know everything that preceded it. So... So I've kind of got like this miniature encyclopedic knowledge of at least the pop culture of the era. And to me, the only way most people perceive the actual era is through the pop culture of the era. So um, so the research is less intensive than you'd think because what I'm trying to do mainly is convince people that it's accurate more than be completely accurate, if that makes sense. It's, it's, it's just like creating any other comic book world. Mm-hmm. You're not cre- you're not recreating, say, 1953 verbatim. You're in you're introducing your version of 1953 and making people believe believe it in context. Um, so that's I, I tell people, people get. There's an artist I've tried to work with off and on who's so obsessed with the research in every story he wants to tell, and my theory is kind of like. You don't need to know everything that went on before as long as you can convince people you know it, if that makes any sense. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just has to be believable. Um, so now there were times, there are things that, that really bother. I don't want to be completely anachronistic. Um, like when, when Stephen Griffin and I were first doing Hawaiian Dick, we spent, there's a scene in the very first series where Mo, who's this big cop buddy of the main character, Bird, and Bird are, are talking to this scum bag on the street and basically they run him into a mailbox so like they're driving the car and the guy runs yes yes i I know i know the panel you're talking about yeah so we were like what the hell did mailboxes look like in honolulu in 1953 i mean it was you know it was it was it was a colony basically but it wasn't a state yet so we spent i mean it was like in the middle of the night because he's in australia we were online for like three hours trying to figure out what a mailbox (laughs) because it was such a key and, and we finally found, like, a market scene from, like, 1952. And in the corner of this huge market scene, you could see this little red and blue mailbox. And uh, it was like, Eureka! And we used that as the reference. And in all honesty, if we had faked it, nobody really would have noticed. But it was still the kind of thing that just, you know, I mean, you like to get those kind of details right just because if someone is familiar with it, they, uh, you know, they're not going to call you on it. And, and, and actually, that's I've had people, we named a character in the book, there's an FBI agent named Chris Duque who kind of floats throughout the book from the second series onward. And uh, he's named after an actual Honolulu detective named Chris Duque who contacted me after the first series and said he'd grown up in Honolulu in the 50s. Um, he was a detective. He was bald. He said he brought Hawaiian Dick in to the guys in the squad room, and they all thought that Mo was a lot like him. Um, and he was telling me how much it felt like his child. I mean, it was really cool. It was like he was just saying how much – look, because you could do a book. Hawaiians are sensitive, as sensitive as anybody else to, their, to the way you use or abuse their culture. So getting that kind of positive response from someone who grew up there, was a native Hawaiian, was a detective, um, was really gratifying. And so you know, we decided to name a character after him um, in tribute. Um, 
but yeah, so I mean that's that's really what you're looking for. When I when I'm at a convention and it was at Planet Comic Con in Kansas City last year and this big old Hawaiian dude came up to me with this battered copy of Hawaiian Dick and threw it down <laughs> in front of me and he was like it's like, bro, I've been waiting forever to meet you. He goes, I, a book set where I grew up from my home. He goes, I love it. It's respect, you know, and he, he had me sign it. And it was like he told me a, a legend I'd never heard before about Hawaii that I kind of took notes on. Um, and that that was just, that's the coolest thing ever. I mean, that makes me so happy because uh, because I really never want to do anything that's going to seem exploitive or, you know, completely misrepresenting um, culture that people hold dear so um so in a roundabout way i guess the answer is i I don't i do as much research as i need to to make it seem like it's real (laughs) gotcha yeah Yeah. now one thing about the research that know that i like that you do and i know uh, some other people out there like matt hawkins and a few other people out there do the same thing that you've been doing is like you know in the back you put like a little glossary and geography you know you talk about you know different (laughs) things about the Hawaiian culture within Hawaiian Dick and Aloha Hawaiian Dick. And you also did something like that in 76 where you put like uh, the top things and that happened in that area. Uh, It's just nice little touches that when you get to the end of the story that you can kind of continue reading to add on to your knowledge base. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little self-indulgent, but it's, that's the benefit of doing specifically those books are all image books. And since you control all the content that goes into your books at image, um, it's it's you can almost get carried away with it because there's no one you know there's not an editor telling you not to do it but um, mm-hmm. particularly with Hawaiian Dick when Stephen Griffin was doing the first couple series he's he's one of those people who if you get started in some design direction he'll just run with it forever uh, like the first Hawaiian Dick trade paperback has like 50 pages of bonus material it has a fully illustrated uh, tropical drink guide that <laughs> that that he did all on his own and each drink. Uh, so it's a story basically through the drinks, if that makes sense. So he, he uh, it's it's Bird and Kahami and uh, and, a, and a thug or in this. If you follow the drinks, it's basically like the evening pro- evening's progression as these drinks are served, and then the, the you know the drink needed in the next morning to. I mean, it's it's just this really crazy clever um, thing that he he did on his own, and so and that kind of stuff. Um, I, 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 it's bonus content, but I, I love that kind of stuff when I see it in books and stuff. So it's, it's a lot of fun to. Uh, but like I said, when, when you're doing an image book, you've got extra pages. There's always a temptation to spend way more time than you need to noodling around with that kind of stuff. Now with uh, Hawaiian Dick and Hawa- Aloha Hawaiian Dick, I was actually been wanting to ask you. Like, I noticed like in uh, Hawaiian Dick and then the Last Resort on the back of the cover, you have those really nice drawings and stuff um, on each issue. But I see that with Aloha Hawaiian Dick, we're getting just uh, panels. Have you thought about it at all? Maybe going back to the old style that you did before? Well, um, <laughs> those were mainly. <clears throat> In, in the other books, it was mainly when, when Stephen was more involved in the process of uh, – he he illustrated the first two miniseries except for one issue of the second miniseries that Nick Darrington drew. But he colored them all. And then the third series was drawn by Scott Chandler, but Stephen colored and lettered it and also wrote, drew, and colored a backup story that he didn't complete. So he was involved in he, – he basically did all the design and assembled those issues. So – I kind of left it up to him, and so he had these drawings that he had done, these digital paintings that he had done. Uh, for the first series, they were of the cast members. Um, 
and maybe of the second series, I can't, I can't remember, but the third series, he had these sort of um, unrelated digital paintings that he had done that I encouraged him to just um, throw on the back because he's, mm-hmm. I, he's, he's brilliant. Um, Sean Dove, who did the cover, did the production design of the uh, inside front cover and the letter column, um, but I've been the one that's kind of assembled the issues and, and mm-hmm. done the editing on the lettering and stuff, so I just thought, you know, I, I could have probably dug up some, some unused extra artwork, um, but most of that will probably end up going into the great big winding card cover, so I thought it would just be kind of a... That'd be cool, because I mean, those portraits are beautiful, and they yeah. kind of remind me of old uh, tobacco cards, so the art you oh, see yeah, on yeah, most yeah. things. Steven is in and out of touch in Australia. He's got uh, his own issues he's dealing with, but um, when he's when he's together and working and just left to his own devices I, he's I, I think he's phenomenal i just i love the stuff he does it's not none of it it doesn't always it's not all like perfect or symmetrical or i mean it's it's his, all of it's his own it's like it's like completely original inspiration everything he does so um and i do have some old stuff of his that we've never published anywhere that i might try to find space for someday even though it's not really oh. related, related to my dick but um That'd be cool. Or at least post them on Twitter for us. <laughs> well, actually, I have. If you go through, I have a Tumblr account that I sort of update occasionally, and, and I think over the past couple of years, I've posted a few things on there that nobody had seen before that he did. Um, so oh, that's you might, cool. You might just go to my Twitter account and find the Tumblr and kind of scroll through the archives or whatever. Huh. Stuff. No. I'll have to do that. So you've worked on a ton of different characters over the years. So aside from your creator own stuff, um, you know, you've done like little mini one shots and things for, uh, and different like short stories like JLA, Green Lantern, uh, Superman, uh, GI Joe, things like that. So what would you say is your most favorite project? I guess you've worked on aside from your creator own stuff. Um, well, I, that's a good question. Um, I I enjoyed the, the first the second the second thing I did for DC was um, uh, a Wildcat for it, it, try to actually it was the first thing that I ever talked to DC about so maybe it was the first thing I did but um, in JSA JSA Confidential or JSA I can't remember Superman I did this story in Superman Confidential and is that right is it Superman Confidential and JSA Classified or the other way around no nope, yep you got anyway, it right Superman, okay all right. Yep. Right, so I did uh, I did a three issue story in each of those series, and the first one I did was a Wildcat story. Um, I'm a big JSA fan, um, and uh, in fact, the f- first time I talked to Dan DeDio about doing something for DC, uh, stupidly um, in retrospect, but kind of the way I do things, uh, he he asked me, he had suggested I do a Batman story that would tell the tale of how Batman and Harvey Bullock first met. Because he, because he had read Hawaiian Day, he knew I did detective stuff, and that's probably what I should have done from a commercial standpoint and everything. Um, but then he said, "We also need stories for this JSA book." And I had told myself a long time ago that if I ever got a chance to work with JSA characters, I would do that. And I think he must have mentioned Wild Man, Wildcat because I love Wildcat, but Our Man is my favorite. It's, I'm a geek about this stuff. But if I had left my own devices, I would have done an Our Man story. But um, I did Wildcat, and then I talked them into bringing Ramon Perez in on the art, um, who at the time hadn't done anything for Marvel or DC, but was but I've known him for years, and he's crazy talented. And um, I had to 
like I had to work to get him on that book um, because the first drawings he did they thought were too stylized and what have you. But um, anyway, long story short, I love that story partly because Ramon's art is phenomenal. Dave McCaig colored it. Um, I, I think it's a pretty great story. I mean, it's, I think it's a good story, not a great story. Um, I really like some of the stuff we did there. I love working with the character. Um, I did a Batman story with Ben Templesmith that was digital first, that was then collected in its own issue of Legends of the Dark Knight, then went into a trade paperback that I'm really um, happy with. Uh, it, it read better in three segments than when it was all put together without any breaks. But I, I, uh, I again, I had to talk them into Ben Templesmith. Um, he was not really a guy that I think they thought would work at DC at the time. Um, but I'm really happy with that i i recently re- like i don't reread my stuff a lot but i reread that recently and i was like i thought well this is actually <laughs> this is good I'm really <laughs> like this story. So, i mean like there's there are things i did in there that I, i'm like you know sort of patting myself on the back for which i know is terrible but i'm like that that worked you know it's still pretty funny or what have you um but uh, this, i'm working on something right now for valiant that um is Probably more up my alley than any of that stuff. No, I'm sorry. I should back up. I should also say uh, Tony Harris and I did the further or the uh, JSA, the Liberty Files, the Whistling Skull at DC uh, a couple years ago, and that was that was a character that we co-created together. Um, had been approved at Wildstorm before Wildstorm collapsed to be in his own book. Um, when Wildstorm collapsed, we talked DC into letting us use. Elseworlds version of JSA characters in the story, even though it was our original creation. Set that in the 40s with a real pulp feel to it. Uh, working with Tony Harris, who uh, you know I've been a fan of since I was in college or high school. Um, like Dave McKay colored it again. That was that was awesome. I mean, that was a lot of fun to create our own character story world and everything, and have DC publish it. Um, so I, I still, even though I'm working for DC in that case. The, being able to create kind of my own pocket of a DC universe was still probably more fun than working on their characters. Um, but I'm doing something right now for Valiant, uh, a brand new book that they announced a couple months ago called Savage. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's a completely original character that I developed um, with input from Warren Simons, who's their editor-in-chief. Um, and the first issue is just about finished. Uh, Louis LaRosa, who's a phenomenal artist, is drawing chunks of the story, and then Clayton Henry, who's a terrific artist, who's one of Valiant's mainstays, is, is drawing the rest of the stories, or the rest of the story, uh, because it's, a, it's kind of a flashback thing. Um, and basically, it's the story of a, a the progeny of... Uh, it's, it's sort of like, what if David Beckham and Posh Beckham crash-landed in a jungle... Uh, in a prehistoric jungle, um, so it's a story of a it's a story of a world class soccer player and his wife, and they crash land in the strange land, uh, desert island, and do their best to survive. And then they run into prehistoric creatures. Um, and the, the title character is actually their their child, their son. Uh, the, the, the soccer player's name is Kevin Savage. His nickname was the Savage. So his son. Raiders on this island takes the name Savage. Um, and then, anyway, we, we sort of examine how the offspring of those two would exist in this cruel alien environment. And um, 
where he might go from there if he were introduced into the large Valiant universe. So it's um, yeah, it's a, it's a four issue miniseries uh, with the, with the sort of a, a larger first issue uh, introducing the character. Like I said, a completely new character uh, who will be incorporated into the Valiant universe. Um, and Louis LaRosa, who is a like a tremendous artist, like one of the most talented guys I've worked with, is also this crazy dinosaur fanatic, um, hmm. like insane about dinosaurs. And he immediately got a hold of me and just was so excited to to be involved in this. Um, and so the dinosaurs don't really look like most comic book dinosaurs. They're, they're very accurately drawn dinosaurs as far as um, archaeologists tell us. So they're, they're like feathers on the dinosaurs and... Um, but that alone gives it kind of a unique element. Uh, you know, it's not just the big Gumby-looking dinosaurs you see in comic books. <laughs> so, um, but I'm yeah. If you and again, if you you know, if you find me on Facebook or Twitter or where Google the Savage and, and my name, you'll you'll find uh, some, a cover illustration and some design stuff that Dalian has done for it. But that has been a lot of fun. Um, that's the kind of stuff that that I really get a kick out of. A lot of guys. A lot of creators don't want to create original characters for uh, as work for hire or for publishers because there are so many outlets now where you can own your own characters outright. But I, ideas. I don't need to, you know, I don't need everything I create to be um, strictly creator owned. So I love the idea of introducing a new character into an existing universe that then might be, you know, exploited or used by other creators or. Um, just kind of set it loose and see where it goes from there. So very cool. Um, so very that yeah, cool. that's that'll be out later this year. That's something. Well, I'll definitely be looking forward to that. Add that to my pool list. <laughs> so I'll just come by a table to con and I'll give you a copy. There we go. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> that that works. That works. So I have to ask you. All right. So as what? Well, I don't know what it was. It guys. We talked on the phone like an hour and a half, two hours ago with uh, Jeremy Hahn, and I'm going to ask him the same question. I'm going to ask. Uh, you guys didn't tell me you were talking to Jeremy tonight. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think that was Jeremy's thanks. response uh, yeah. as well. He had a lot of great things to say about you, by the way. Jesus, I'll bet. But uh, I had asked him about Battle Him. One of the two of you going to you know finish it up and you know or you know revisit it and he's talking i guess he mentioned that you guys are talking about midnight hour we might be seeing a little bit more in the future well yeah okay um and then he yeah. followed it up with you're an awful human being just so you're yeah. aware he said <laughs> that. Yes. and that, and that you try his patience no, very clearly i know he keeps trying to get me to put that on my business card um <laughs> well we've actually been working um okay so battle him yeah we did that like 10 years ago, World War II alternate history superhero yeah. thing. Be- before mm-hmm. that was like a crazy popular genre, sort of. Um, it, we, yeah, we actually sat down and we developed an idea for a follow-up series starring the Midnight Hour, one of the characters in the series, set a little bit later. Um, and I actually have a completed issue of a book that would be called The Midnight Hours, set in 1950 um, in Scotland. <laughs> and it deals with the midnight hour basically leads a group of sort of strange superhumans um as they track down sort of the residue the psychic residue of world war ii sort of some of the vaguely supernatural stuff that's left over from from the war um an artist who's a tremendous cartoonist named ben passmore uh drew an issue and it's 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 colored and lettered and everything but I, i've been sitting 
working on it forever, um, and we, we haven't done anything more with it than that. Um, it was like one of those things we did without any real thought of what we were going to, you know, wh- were we going to go to Image with this new series and, and launch it from scratch? Uh, were we going to put it in the back of another book? Um, so it exists, and I have to do something with it. Um, I don't know what at this point. Um, but at the same time, Jeremy and I talked about doing a story that had some sort of Cthulhu overtones and stuff involving the Midnight Hour that kind of fit in that vein. Um, the problem with the book I have in hand is that it's a complete departure from the original Battle Hymn miniseries in terms of tone and everything. It only follows the one character. Yeah, I think it's something we'll get to eventually, and we'll probably figure out how to incorporate what I've already done with something that Jeremy and, Jeremy and I will at least write together. Because um, we had ideas about the artificial man is this character that's in, in the book, if, if you haven't read it, who's uh, sort of an artificial construct that is sort of the linchpin of the whole story. And um, just as the original inspiration for the, for the series was me reading about, I don't know, I was reading an old Golden Age human torch story, and I thought, well, if this flaming android appeared in 1940, um, the government would absolutely want to get their hands on this thing. And that was never anything – I mean, that was never an element that, that was a part of the original character's you know, history. So I thought, well, what if there were some like sort of superheroes and some people dressed up in costumes? How would the government respond? And that was the idea. But what the government was really interested in the story was the artificial man. So we thought, well, that's not the end of the story, obviously. So what we would want to do is bring the artificial man back, the midnight hour back, and kind of, you know, we had this whole red, red uh, scare era kind of story. So my guess is that'll happen eventually. Um, we are actually right now kind of revisiting a book we did at Oni uh, a while ago called The Leading Man. Um, mm, yeah. Which, which was a five-issue series we did a long time ago, and we have spent the last eight or nine years optioning and re-optioning and trying to get made into a film or TV show um, with Universal Studios and various other people. Um, that's We've actually been kicking that around again and are about to do something new with that world. Um, but Jeremy is very busy as an artist. You know, he's, he's got the beauty, which he writes and draws some of. And he, and he and Seth Peck, who we talked about earlier, are working on a book together um, that he's drawing. Um, he still jumps in occasionally to do work for hire. I think he's doing something. DC maybe um, so so getting Jeremy to draw things that we work on is kind of a challenge um, but he's also now he said the opposite he said the challenge was getting you <laughs> that, that's, yeah okay well maybe I'm busy too I mean no it's there's there's some truth in that but um, but no 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 I mean uh, I don't want to get into it I've known Jeremy <laughs> <laughs> so long. Yeah, that um, sounds like it. Sounds like two good friends. <laughs> yeah, no, he um, he's. At, but what I was going to say, and it's a compliment to him, um, is that he's actually emerged as a pretty pretty good writer. Um, yeah, and uh, that's really as he's gotten more confident as a writer, um, he's gotten better. He's always had great ideas, um, and uh, and I keep talking about Seth Peck as well. He's a local guy. We're all kind of local. Seth. Peck has better ideas than anybody I've ever known in my life, which is why when he's drifted, you know, he's he's got his teaching certification and this and that. And he's done. He did a, some X. He did some X Men issues and Wolverine miniseries, and uh, he did a horror miniseries of Image years ago with Rick Remender and Fra- Francesco Francavilla. But he's always kind of dabbled in comics, and I've always kind of held a hold of his collar with one hand because even if he doesn't co-write something with me, I always want his input because he just has these insanely clever and 
crazy little bits that he'll throw into a story or you know into the idea process. Um, so he and Jeremy working together on our book, I'm, I'm really excited to see how how that kind of emerges. Um, yeah, that will be exciting because I know after I saw you know seventy six, you know I. And so I started researching, you know, the people on the team and all that. And Seth, you know, he really didn't, there wasn't too much stuff that he's done as a writer. So I'm like, hey, I hope he gets some more stuff out there soon. Yeah, it's really weird when you look at a guy's comic book bibliography and it's like three issues of the X-Men, like the actual X-Men. <laughs> yeah. And a Wolverine miniseries and a couple image things and a short story here or there. It's kind of, I mean, you know, clearly people believe that he's. You know, he's, he's got the ability. He and Jason Aaron are good friends. As well, We've known Jason for 100 years, too. And, and uh, um, you know, Jason sort of pushed to get him doing more stuff at Marvel. But he's he's never going to do anything he doesn't want to do because he doesn't have to do it. He's got other things he does, and that's a good way to be. So, But he does have – he will have two image books out next year, and he and I are always talking about collaborating on stuff. So, um, But, yeah, as for Battle Ham, I think we'll see more of it. Jeremy and I are – working on something else together but that actually may kind of open doors to get back into doing something to battle him so um here in the next few months we'll should have some sort of interesting news about what we're doing in a few different areas of uh, a few different medias mediums i should say so um because i always want to write comics and we always want to tell comics and create comic book stories but we're also all kind of pushing to get these stories out into other mainstream media so hopefully that happens exactly yeah. as you can tell i love your work i have so much of it and it's just, this is just this is my little uh this is exciting for me this is this fanboy moment <laughs> this is his belated birthday present from yeah. us. Yeah. yeah i hope you had a better uh present on your actual birthday but i appreciate that i uh i feel like i jump around too much and spend too much time between projects to ever gain much momentum with readers but i do that's one reason I love doing, especially like you mentioned Omaha. I did a con in Omaha last year. Um, never, never been to the convention. Never really done anything in the area. And the smaller regional cons I've done have been great because so many people aren't exposed to creators in, in those places mm-hmm. that the enthusiasm is just it, it like kind of washes away all the jaded negativity you get everywhere else. Um, yeah. so people so enth- and you also realize that people don't pay that much attention to all the stuff you stress out about online and bleeding cool and all these controversies and everything most people are just going to the shop and buying books they love and and uh, just want to talk to you about it so um so it is always gratifying to hear that anybody's paid attention to any of the stuff i've done oh my gosh i have like i, said, I have stuff you know like your noble causes to everything else oh, wow <laughs> i have yeah, a I lot of your stuff on. story yeah i don't I mean, even no- there's i've done so many stuff i've done like i've done Less stuff for more publishers than anybody in comics. <laughs> like, I mean, like I say, I have obscure things. I mean, even like the the image winner special I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We did about actually, and here's a here's a secret of the image winner special is the uh, I actually wrote the Christmas letter in the back of that issue. Uh, that oh, we did, this, we did this crazy. I I think I just stopped working for Image full time at the time, and Eric Stevenson was like. What if we did one of those crazy Christmas letters that families do? And so I, I wrote it as if Image was like a big family headed to a party, and like, yeah. oh, there's Robert Kirkman in the corner, and uh, um, and I think I got paid fifty dollars for that. So, uh, <laughs> paying gig. So, yeah. I, if you, if anybody listening doesn't know much of my stuff, I do. I have a uh, my website is just a blog. It's a WordPress site, um, but I have a bibliography that I try to keep updated. Um, 
Uh, and uh, it's yeah, you'll see it jumps around a lot. There's a, um, a whole lot of different stuff for a whole lot of people, but um, I don't know. Most of it, I'm most of it, I'm I'm happy with in retrospect. I think. Hey, so, cool. Yeah, I just, all... I just I just got a shipment from Viz for uh, some. I did I did a Ben Ten book a couple of years ago that I had almost completely forgotten about that they sent me a couple extra copies of. <laughs> I can hand that out to children at conventions. Yeah, my little nice freebies there. Yeah, yep. my son is a huge Ben Ten fan. So. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's why I did it. I have a young kid who that's some of mine that he can at least flip through. Yeah, cool. So I got to ask you this because it's something that we always ask people that come on our show. What do you keep in your short box? What do you collect? Um, man. So for I at one time I had like. 45 or 50 long boxes of comics um, that I carried with me everywhere I moved and, I mean, that I collected from childhood. And once I started getting rid of those, um, it became really easy to get rid of all of it. So (laughs) at this point, I literally have, like, under my stairs, I have, like, maybe 10 short boxes, maybe a few more. And I've actually, I regret getting rid of a lot of the stuff, especially the cheesier stuff in the 70s. And I still, I'll still go through when I go to a con, I'll pick up ten or fifteen dollars worth of cheap comics, you know, old issues of Micronauts or ROM or whatever. And, um, like I, the only things I held on to, I held on to my complete run of the Invaders, which was a seventies mm. Marvel comic that yeah. I'm a huge fan of. Um, ROM, which I, I was a big fan of. Oh um, yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, which people always talk about wanting to do. I don't have any interest in writing ROM because the book as it was is what I liked. I don't. I mean, it's. I don't think you can recreate the cheesy fun of that that series and the Defenders. <laughs> The Defenders was another series that, for whatever reason, I obsessed over. These days, um, there are some things. Um, I, I think Southern Bastards, which I know a lot of yes. people love. Yes, uh, very by, good. By, by Jason Aaron and, and Latour is about as good as anything out there. I, I, Jason Aaron can do anything. And Latour, who Jason Latour and I did a miniseries at Image years ago called The Expatriate, which is one of the first things he ever did that we, again, sort of bit off more than we can chew with but um so i've known jason for years and he the work he's doing as an artist on southern bastards is in my opinion as good as anything anybody's doing anywhere i just think it's it's mind-blowing how good he is i would agree um, with that yeah, yeah it's um, really good he's and and, and it's oh, obviously it's right up both their alleys um there's there's marvel books i've enjoyed uh i like the i like the ms marvel book a lot um which actually jake wyatt who drew aloha hawaiian dick did couple issues of Ms. Marvel. Um, I, uh, man, I'm trying to think. It, it feels like, like recently I've dove back into the shop kind of and started picking some things up. Um, I've actually got a big stack. I started reading more and more of the Valiant stuff as I've worked for them. Uh, Fred Van Lente, anything he does is always, it took me forever to realize how good he was, but um, I read his Archer and Armstrong run from not too long ago, and it's great. Um, what Sander Cannon's got a book at Oni, um, Kaiju Max, I think, is the title. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, I don't know who's listening to me still, but um, <laughs> hang on here, because I, I know I've, got, I've actually got some stuff here that I want to pimp. Um, There's just the so much stuff out there nowadays, that, and it's good true. stuff. Good yeah, stuff, but there's great so stuff. much. It's like, I don't have time to read everything. <laughs> yeah, there's... There is. I think that, um, I, and I and I mentioned these some of these in, uh, Marvel books uh, because I feel like they're outliers. Because I think 
I think the best stuff Marvel's done ever since Fraction did Hawkeye is the stuff that stands apart from all of their event stuff. Um, uh, Miss Marvel's a good example, you know, Spider-Gwen, stuff like that. Um, Image, you know, there's tons of stuff that Image is doing that's mm-hmm. interesting. Um, and, and, I, and I like Valiant's stuff because it's easy to... I just, I don't really don't have time for the giant events and all the tie-ins and everything. I mean, I, I assume I, most people say that, but I... I just want to be able to read a book month to month and enjoy it in its own unique world, so to speak. And, and what Fraction and David Aja, or Aja, or however you pronounce his name, did with Hawkeye was... was and also Daredevil, when, uh, when Mark Wade and Chris Somney really took off with Daredevil. I think it kind of pointed the way to what these companies could still do with superhero books, um, which is not worry so much about a gotcha hook every issue, but actually just tell really fun smart superhero stories again so and and i and i haven't really dug into much of the dc rebirth stuff but i think that's a, a really positive direction for them um because i think they've been spinning in circles for a while in all honesty um and uh you know if if, if, it was, if i ran marvel or dc which will never happen so i can say whatever <laughs> I, I i and people people i think a lot of people hate this notion but i would freeze I think when Marvel and DC from like ni- the late 60s to the mid-80s, those characters were sort of stuck in, you know, frozen in place, so to speak. I actually think that's the best option for those characters. I think you keep the designs familiar and the same because that's what people are familiar with when it comes to marketing. And you focus more on letting great creators tell short story arcs. You know, uh, Focus on the stories. Just you know, give a great artist and writer team six to 12 issues to tell the story they want to tell and then move on to the next team uh, and quit redesigning and reimagining and, you know, starting over from scratch and all this, make it easier for readers to pick up, you know, the second arc if they didn't read the first arc, because it doesn't complete, you know, you, you don't have to know everything that went on beforehand. It, it was, I, for 40 years, Superman was one of the best selling books in comics. You could pick up any issue at any time and you didn't have to, you didn't have to know what had been going on, you know the previous arc or whatever. I really, I, I really think that's the best model for, for the industry. And um, DC seems to kind of be thinking a little bit. Okay, well these popular these characters are really popular in other media right now. You know TV specifically. Well, why shouldn't people be able to enjoy the TV show and pick, pick up the comic book and see them reflected? You know, um, it, it's kind of mind blowing to me that Marvel has all these crazy popular movies, but if you pick up the comics about these characters, they don't even look like the characters in the movies. Um, and I love the, the move towards diversity and everything. Don't get me wrong, but but at its core, it's still a commercial industry and marketing is the key. And I just, I really don't get why the two aren't more closely connected. I don't know. Just um, Are you yeah. sure and you never yeah. want to run, you, you ever want to be president for Marvel <laughs> or DC? Because I'm liking your idea. I, so, I, uh, of course. Well, I mean, it's just, I, it just seems to me like even, president. <laughs> well, when you go to when you go to Walmart or wherever, and you pick up like merchandising with a DC character, it's the classic version of the character, you know, seven out of ten times. Yep. So that that means that that's what manufacturers and marketers think people associate with the character. So why are we redesigning Superman? I mean, that or Batman or what have you? I mean, I I'm not really sure. I understand, you know, in the short term it picks up readership and interest and everything, but it's just unnecessary. I mean, ultimately. You know, nobody remembers a classic run of a character because they were redesigned and the costume was different or 
whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's all about the artist and the writer combining to tell a unique story that captures people's imagination. And I, I just, I, if it seems real obvious to me, and maybe, you know, maybe I'm not smart enough to figure it out, but um, I, it just blows my mind that we can't just, I don't know. I mean, I, you know, it's not even that important. I understand. I mean, as long as they're selling books, they're fine. That's what they do. I, I've always got my own stuff to work on, but I just think the at, the basic characters have enough strength that you don't need to, you know, kick them around and redesign them and alienate some fans and fans just whatever. I don't know. I'm rambling now, but that's that's my philosophy on. <laughs> no, I like the philosophy. Yeah, I agree with you completely. <clears throat> Now you're talking about you know cart- uh, comics going into TV shows and stuff like that. I like to kind of circle back and talk about you know Hawaiian Dick going to NBC. Um, how much involvement have you had in, into the um, project with uh, casting and all that kind of stuff? Well, um, it's uh, we we optioned Hawaiian Dick about ten years ago to New Line um, as a feature film, and there was a script written uh, by a t- a screenwriting. T- team of Shannon and Swift, who are currently working on the um, Baywatch reboot. Um, and we had a director attached who was Frank Karachi, who directed many of Adam Sandler's movies. So it was a very strange sort of... Um, and, and, and don't... I'm, just, I'm not an Adam Sandler fan. I don't really enjoy his movies. But Frank Karachi is a good dude, and he loves noir, and he was really hooked into Hawaiian Dick. And I think at the time he saw his you know, his, his momentum as, Adam, as making all these Adam Sandler movies made a lot of money. I think he saw that as a, as a chance for him to maybe step into, you know, one of his true loves or whatever. And it just never worked out for a number of reasons, um, mainly because New Line as a, as a studio kind of fell apart for a while. But for a long time, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't I, I got in, inquiries all the time, but I just kind of left it on the back burner because in my head, I always wanted it to be a TV show if it went to other media. Um, mm-hmm. And in all honesty, I thought it would be a cable tv show um i just think that i don't know well cable right now is obviously i think sort of the hotbed for for genre entertainment um you know, whether it's streaming you know or amc or fx or whatever uh, and there's a lot of freedom there um and I, and I think i think it would work better as a sort of low-key episodic tv show so i put together um with, with a producer named eric gitter who i've Leading Man and Billy Smoke uh, project I optioned a few years ago. With brothers, I, I kind of we put together sort of a, a team to, to pitch this with. Um, we brought Johnny Knoxville, who was originally attached to start the movie, brought him in mm-hmm. as a producer. And the way it worked is um, we sort of had to pitch to NBC um, because of the associations we had. And I thought NBC would probably pass, and then we would take it to cable. But NBC didn't pass, <laughs> so they uh, they were. Like yeah, we want it. So okay, I mean, if if by some chance it gets to the air at NBC, I would not complain about that. Um, but I've been not nothing happens that that doesn't that doesn't get run past me. Um, partly because I was so involved in the pop process from the pitch stage onward. Hawaiian um, Dick is the one project of mine that's very personal. Um, so, Understandable. You know, I mean, I've got other things I'm working on that. I'm not as attached to in terms of how they're developed outwardly. Or, but, and I was never... Look, if New Line had wanted to make a $100 million film set in the current 
sometimes with the script we had and everything. Obviously, I was fine with that. I mean, the comic book is the comic book. But given a choice, I'd rather have a little more control and, and kind of angle it towards what we're looking at now. So it's the, the problem with the show, it was bought so late in the season last year that it didn't really get pushed forward because they were already in the process of putting pilots together and everything for this year. So we're kind of mm-hmm. now at the stage where we're looking again at how we're going to move forward uh, heading into the next season. Um, so at this point, I don't, you know, I, I don't, I couldn't tell you much about it beyond just the general conversations we've had about who we'd like to have involved. Because um, mm-hmm. you always, you want to start with your showrunners and your writers and, you know, you have certain people targeted that you might want to run, run it by, uh, actors um but yeah i mean i'll be involved in, in the whole process and if it does get to the air my plan is to be on staff and work on the show um that's that that's something that i've kind of pushed for with a number of things that i've been talking to people about in hollywood when it comes to television i'd love to spend time working on a show based on something i created while i'm writing comics i mean that that's the only the only thing on my bucket list is to create a, a television show and be involved in it that that i have some creative input well, good luck with that. Yeah, Thank looking you. forward to that. Yeah, luck is the key. <laughs> yes, it is. Luck, 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 a little bit of luck, luck and a little is, bit of, and who do you know? Luck is number, <laughs> luck, yeah, well, yeah, luck, but luck is always number one. When it comes to yes. television. people trying to break into comics that have talent, I could kind of give them some guidance on how they can make it work and be pretty sure they can do it. But yeah, television and film is just a crapshoot half the time. So mm-hmm. not not everybody gets to be Robert Kirk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. In fact, uh, only Robert Kirkman gets to be Robert Kirkman. So. Yeah, there you go. But I will say, Robert, uh, what Robert's done with The Walking Dead has been fantastic for the industry across the board. So, yeah, it has. That Fear the Walking Dead, now Outcast. Yeah. yeah. I don't care. I, yeah, if you don't, you like the show, you don't like the show. It doesn't matter. And I like the show. So that. Yeah. I mean, I enjoy. I, I will. I won't lie. I enjoy the comics more. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I guess I re- I tend to read The Walking Dead in bursts. Like I'll read like ten issues at a time. Uh-huh. Uh, but like Walking Dead is like the only show my family, my nine-year-old son, and my wife and I all watch together. So, I mean, it is what it is. But um, you know, I think if you don't have, you know, I think if your expectations are, you know what it, you know what you're watching. It's not like you're, you're looking for Shakespeare or anything. But I don't know. We get a kick out of it. And I enjoy it. And I'll tell yeah. you. What it's the one it is it is it's a cliche but it's the one thing people I know that don't read comics at all hook into and go look for the comics. I mean, I knew a lot of people in that first couple of seasons went out and bought that big omnibus who had never read comics at all. And I mean, that's 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 not a bad thing. Introduce no. To, to, so. Well, the next one on the list will be uh, Hawaiian Dick, right? <laughs> um, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> sure. I'll be I'll be moving in right next to I'll be I'll move in to Robert's basement. <laughs> there you go. Clean his pool. Well, unfortunately, it's that time of the hour we must bid adieu. It's been such a pleasure having you on. Thank you again for your time. No, thanks for having me, guys. I uh, hope I didn't just ramble too much. Oh, but, uh, not at all. Perfect. It's greatly appreciated. <laughs> yeah. No, thanks for having me on. And uh, yeah, and uh, if um, you know if anyone's out in Kansas City in August, I'll be at Kansas City Comic Con. Um, I encourage anybody to come by and chat with me if they want. Talk about comics, my stuff, advice, movies, dog, love you. Um, <laughs> and then I'll, I'll be I'll be in Memphis later this year, and so I, I really I hope people 
even if they've never read my stuff, I, I, I love it when people who've heard me on podcasts or read interviews or whatever come up and talk to me and, and uh, just want to talk about comics and stuff. So. Aloha, fans. It's time to get those grass skirts off and settle in for another luau as we've come to the end of another great show. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to join the four guys on our social media fronts as we continue to hang ten across the world. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and the web. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, and Podbean. Go grab a drink with an umbrella in and watch the sunset on another beautiful day. Aloha.